0: Thank you for joining us today with the Talent Magnet Institute podcast, and I am so excited to have Crystal Kendrick, CEO of Voice of Your Customer and founder of Voice of Black Cincinnati in the studio with us today. Crystal is a business person who I've admired for many years. Crystal, you and I met, I think, March of 2014 on a panel. You were leading the panel uh, with the Garing Center. That at was that cool. Time.
1: Yes, and that was a great experience. And, and not only have you and I remained in contact, but everyone on the panel has remained in contact. Yes. So
0: kudos to the Garing Center for getting good people together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, John Moore and I have become mm-hmm. great friends yes. through that panel. Through though. that panel, absolutely. <laughs> um, and you also have a, ter- a tremendous success story moving from corporate America, um, had a great career and a great elevation, great mentors, which we'll get into um, to entrepreneurship, to community building. And uh, so I'm very excited to dive into this conversation and see where it might take us and take those listening as well.
1: Absolutely. Here we go. So,
0: so could you share with us just a little bit? I always, you know, liked the journey, kind of the step back of where you were. And your career path and kind of what led you ultimately into entrepreneurship. Uh, What was that step? What did that look like? So if we could start back kind of where you started your career and, and what motivated you to go into that, that might even be before college or what led you through this path that you've been on?
1: So uh, to be quite honest, I graduated from undergrad with a degree in marketing, and I knew I wanted to go to graduate school. So um, I thought I was just going to go out and get a little job because I was going to go to school full time. So I went over to the Urban League and said, hey... I'm going to find a job. Can you help me? And she said, oh, I have a career for you. She said, I want you to apply for this job at a company called Rockwell International. And it's down in Kentucky, but you take this job, girl. And I said, oh, okay." So I went down and interviewed. And at the time, Florence, Kentucky was a distance from Cincinnati because there wasn't a lot of development along seventy one seventy five until you reached Boone County. So I would drive down there every day. It was an amazing experience. I worked for Rockwell in the automotive division that spun off and became Meritor and now it is Arvin Meritor. And I worked there for nearly 10 years. And That was such a tremendous experience for me. I had great leadership, uh, great mentoring, tremendous opportunities, and I really developed my personal self. In that role, I also spent nearly three years working internationally on international business development as well as um, preparing for Y2K. But, you know, I I got a little itchy and thought maybe I should try something new. And so um, I was offered an opportunity to work at a bank, a large hometown bank. And I did that for a couple of years, and it offered me, again, a totally different experience of um, a 24 by 7 operation and a multitude of other things. And that wasn't really for me either. So I ended my corporate career working in the wire and cable industry. In each of these positions, I ended as the um, leader, the second tier leader of a customer service division. And I always thought that I would retire as a vice president of customer service at some corporation. That was my goal. I never dreamed of becoming an entrepreneur. But, you know, 11 years later, I can look back at that experience and say, um, I was an example of someone that that leading, The department in which I excelled was not a good experience. I was in customer service, inside sales, sales management, and I had great relationships with clients, increased sales, improved customer satisfaction, did all kinds of things for our clients, and they really loved us. Mm -hmm. Then I became a manager, over 70 or 80 people, multiple sites, sometimes multiple countries. And I went from helping customers every day and making making a difference in that way to leading and guiding 70 to 80 people that required me to really be an extension of human resources. I spent all of my time on performance evaluations, get well plans, employee conflict, terminations, uh, hiring, training, developing. And I really moved away from what I loved and what I was really good at, which was helping customers. And so I didn't do well in those positions and I couldn't figure out why. And maybe I wasn't mature enough at the time to accept that. But I tell people today, that was the worst decision ever. And all leadership opportunities are not great for you. I tell people to look at the tasks that they are assigned to do and ensure that whatever position they aspire to reach, that it is performing the tasks that they enjoy and not necessarily leading the tasks or doing other tasks. And so I can tell that story today because I feel good about it and I feel great about where God has led me Um but at the time, it was a difficult challenge. So at that point, I was doing some secret shopping. Or I was doing secret shopping for some friends, and it was a hobby for me to to uh, do reviews for my friends who own small retail stores and franchises. And as I was doing that, people started calling me uh, when I was still working in corporate hmm. to be a secret shopper. And I said, oh, okay. And then I became ill physically for a period of time. And during that time, the calls just started coming for secret shopping. And I thought, you know, I was young enough and I was educated. I had finished all my education and my degrees. And I said, I'm going to try this. I have enough to live for two years. And if after two years, I can't make it, then I'm going to go back into corporate. And you know, the Lord blessed me so that um, I never looked back. Not to say that every year was a great year, but I was always able to sustain myself and grow and pay my staff. And now we are uh, more of a a thriving company, not a fledgling company, not an emerging company. We have clients all around the world throughout the United States. I have staff and responsibilities, and it's just been a tremendous experience. Yeah. So from that, I just tell you, it's okay to not do well in a position, and it's okay to take time to figure out what you really need to do because your health, your well-being, and your happiness are number one.
0: So the the journey and of seeing this need of secret shopping that's turned into what the voice of your customer does today. Can you share a little bit about how that went from kind of the a little bit more detail into where friends are asking you to all of a sudden, this is a great business opportunity and all of the complexity that you lead today.
1: So secret shopping is and was and is fun, but I had to learn a couple of things. So the first thing I learned is that um, larger corporations don't always call secret shopping, secret shopping. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't figure out what was happening. And so I had two friends. One friend told me, Google the clients you want to to connect, with whom you want to connect, and see what they call it. And so because I do a lot of work, we do a lot of work with government agencies, they call it things like discrimination testing and audit and compliance and deceptive marketing practices and uh, um, compliance. And so I had to just change the vocabulary because it was all emulating the experiences of customers. But I was calling it something different. And so I had to, one, learn what the title of my work was and what the what kind of work I was doing and how it was being um, described or, or requested in different industries. That was the first thing I had to do. The second thing was I I struggled to find people who were doing secret shopping, and I had colleagues and other professionals who said, you have degrees in marketing, you have international business experience in marketing, and customer research, and Six Sigma, the voice of your customer – I know you like secret shopping, but can you use some of these other skills that we know you have? So then I said, oh, okay, I'll be glad to do the market research and the outreach and the other things that I knew how to do from my corporate job that I wasn't necessarily bringing to my company. So we became a three-tiered company with three focal, focal points. One was secret shopping, and it still is. And we still do quite a bit of deceptive marketing practices and things of that nature. The Federal Trade Commission and other federal agencies have been our clients. We've been deposed to federal court. And our findings have been used for judgments and a multitude of other things. So that's work I'm very, very proud of. Mm -hmm. We also uh, do market research. And as you know, we do focus groups and surveys. And we really engage people in an authentic way. Our clients always say, you get things out of people that we just don't get in other sessions. And so we really appreciate that. We use very different techniques and we find people where they are and we make them comfortable where they are. And we really gather information that's used to make business decisions. And then the third thing we do is community outreach. And we discovered that it was very difficult for our clients to reach very niche markets that did not respond typically to mass media. And so we have developed strategies and plans to reach uh, different diverse markets, different subgroups, segments of of business professionals, et cetera. Whatever that subgroup is, we have avenues and methods to really engage that audience so that we reach decision makers and influencers and not necessarily all of mass media. Mm -hmm. So those are the three components we have. Our business grew because I had the skills and people found that I I wasn't using them, asked me to use those. And before I knew it, I had a staff of people and we never looked back.
0: That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that journey. So can you share a little, are there individuals who, from a mentor perspective in the corporate world that really reached out to you when you were traveling through the various career options you had that helped guide and encourage and inspire you to pursue great things, and that ultimately you became a leader of three different organizations. Um, could you share a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. So, uh, you know, most of the people who shaped my career have been uh, probably three or three or four people, but the, the corporate individuals all came from Arvin Meritor. We were under the direction at the time of a gentleman called, named Tom Gosnell, who has uh, retired, and I still send him LinkedIn messages every time something great happens to me, or some every time I use one of his strategies for something in my business I'll send him a note and say because of you Mm -hmm. but you know he taught us to exceed expectations every customer every time Mm -hmm. he was also a, a phenomenal leader in that he could identify talent within individuals he he wanted people to grow through his organization and he allowed his direct reports and others to um to lead their individuals. He was really into employee development, career development, really meeting the expectations of the customer, putting the customer first. And that really set the tone for me. Um, another gentleman that really uh, helped me, his name is Mark Pertiller, and he stayed, Mark stayed in the automotive industry for many years, and he is now, I believe, the the head of procurement at Kroger. He just uh, took that position. I don't know, he, it's in procurement, but I don't know exactly what they mm-hmm. call that, but another tremendous person who taught me the very tactical and functional and strategic initiatives of, of being a leader, of being in business, um, and many of the strategies strategies, the tools, the tactics, the practices that I use today Mm -hmm. came from that gentleman. And he always had my best interest at heart. He always included me on things that um, maybe I didn't need to be in, but he knew it was a learning experience for me. Mm -hmm. And he gave me enough rope to mess up, but never enough rope to fail. Mm -hmm. And these are two gentlemen that I have admired for years and and there was another gentleman at Meritor. His name was Dave Olson, and he worked in uh, the automotive industry as well. I think he just retired. He relocated outside of the area. But he taught me the, the art of the customer first and how to sell and engage with customers. And I just thrived. I thrived under all of that leadership. And I really believe individuals thrive if they have the right manager. It has to be a good match. It's almost like a marriage. And if, you, if your skills and personality match with their skills and personality, you will go very, very far.
0: So the, um, with the Talent Magnet Institute podcast, we're working on defining success and leaders in relationships, work, community, and life. Right. And you just hit on the relationships component. Right. That it all of these areas intertwine so much and understanding people and how important that relationship and that knowledge is. You mentioned that uh, Mr. Pertiller would include you in things that you may not see why you would be in that room. But he knows that developing because he knows you and knows your skills, talents and abilities bringing you in furthers the trust that you have with him and vice versa, um, but also helps you elevate and helps you grow into an even stronger person. Right. Um, And building those friendships internally and those trusting relationships. And as we know, so many Corporate organizations, that's what team chemistry is all about. That's what understanding your corporate culture is all about. That's what understanding all of your people is about and how to motivate, inspire, and um, to get the most out of everything possible for the organization. Um, Could you share a little bit on the community side? Right. So you're so involved in our community. You know, one of the things that went through my mind that I know when you're having a conversation, when I see you at a restaurant, whether it's at the Metropolitan (laughs) Club or someplace downtown, I know that discussion you're in is important to our community. Um, And we've seen that with nonprofits that we've been on boards of or in search selection committees for new executives of where your name comes up with the work that you're doing in our in our community and you and I have talked about some of those Um, but share with me what what are you what do you do in our community and and what really inspired you to get into that very important work that you're doing to move our community forward
1: Well, you know, so we all have love languages, and one of my love languages is giving. That's, you know, some serve, some give, some do a multitude of things. But one of mine, a very strong uh, love language of mine is giving, and that's how I show love. And in my work, I have seen and observed and and experienced so many disparities. You know, there are so many disparities and it's not necessarily racial and it's not always economic. Sometimes it's just exposure, but there are just the has and have nots everywhere we go. And I felt that my work could mean something more. I wanted my work to be not just my paycheck, but something significant for the people I love. And that's when I became more actively involved in my community and not just more actively involved, but more actively involved at a higher level. Mm -hmm. I went from a a committee person, if you will, a layman, a general worker to a committee chair to, you know, now serving on boards and really being on impact committees of those boards Mm -hmm. that make a difference for the communities that I love. Mm -hmm. And so, So I've always cared about that, but I've always separated my service from my career until I met Carl Satterwhite. And Carl Satterwhite, who is the president and CEO of River City uh, River City Furniture (RCF), it was River City, but now it's RCF. Um, And his motto, and I proudly adopted, is "Give to get to give." And so we believe that if we give of ourselves, that will create more opportunities for us to get to give. Mm -hmm. And so that has been my motto as the entire 11 years that I have been in business because I met Mr. Carl Satterwhite um, as soon as I started my business through the minority business programs Mm -hmm. locally. And we just live by that. And we do believe that giving will allow us to continue to give. Mm -hmm. And that's why we do it. And so the boards I serve on, I, I really become passionate about how they help people. I really um, help boards understand that they don't just affect who they believe are their initial customers, but they how their support trickles down into other communities and really helps them to move forward. And my goal is to really educate, um, recognize, and create opportunities for those for the for those who do not have a voice.
0: And the, you know, again, the part of the, is those listening in every community, big work is happening, right? Big impact moves. And it takes great leaders like yourself and Mr. Satterwhite and others to encourage and inspire. And um, what are some of those tough community conversations that you're leaning so heavily into and are so passionate about?
1: Well, I'm very passionate about education. I come from a generation and a grandmother who felt that, and, and grandparents, not just one. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was telling someone the other day, education was so important to our foremothers and forefathers. Mm-hmm. You had that education, uh, the literacy, and not just the literacy of being able to read, but the literacy of, of understanding and critical thinking and being able to engage and be a part of the conversation was always important, and no one could ever take that from you. Mm-hmm. And so So... I truly believe in education because I believe that when you educate someone, you know, they can, instead of fishing for them, you can teach them to fish if that model works. But you get my point. So I've always been passionate about education. Um, I've always been passionate about um, opportunities. And there are so many opportunities, but I find that most people who have the opportunities don't really know how to connect and engage well with those who could most benefit from those opportunities. And so that's why I'm actively involved in those programs. But um, you know, so education is really big for me, as well as, you know, health is pretty important to me now as well. I guess as I'm aging and <laughs> I noticed that my health and energy and those things aren't what they used to be. I can remember when we could get dressed in 20 or 30 minutes. That was a shower and all. Right. Now it needs a little bit more time. And so I do think that health is really important because I think that too many wonderful lives are altered, changed or ended. Um, because they don't have healthy options. Mm-hmm. And it's the little things that we take for granted if we have the right resources. But there are people I met with, a, I did focus groups just this week in parts of Cincinnati. They don't have a dentist in their community. They don't have healthcare in their community. They don't have healthcare options. And little things like a cavity can now just become a debilitating speech problem mm-hmm. and, you know, broken bones or, you know, small things that many people would have corrected and easily repaired are becoming um, a challenge for them. And so that's pretty important to me as well. But health and, and jobs and education, those
0: three things, really important. And major part of the community side, Voice of Black Cincinnati. Can you share a little? How did that come about? What is that to those listening? Um, can you share a little bit about that? Sure. Great so
1: endeavor. in uh, in our area, and as I'm finding in many other cities, especially sure. mid-sized cities, uh, not the largest cities, but more mid-sized cities, are really struggling to, um, to create media in their town that recognizes... A, Educates and creates opportunities for diverse populations. Unfortunately, many times when diverse people appear in the news, in the general news, it is because of crime or sports. It's not necessarily uh, for recognizing businesses, it's not necessarily for as many accomplishments. And so we've, we've struggled in that way. And as a marketing and outreach uh, expert, I found that it was easier to go directly to the audience than to spend all of my time trying to convince mainstream media that this is a good story. Mm -hmm. We have great things happening in the African-American community as well as the Hispanic community as well as the Asian community. There are galas and uh, fundraising events and hundreds of thousands of dollars of scholarships and all kinds of things that could benefit our community, but it doesn't make mainstream media news and people don't really know how to find it. The other thing we were discovering in our region is that our companies and corporations and our universities and all of these people were really trying to attract and retain diverse populations in Cincinnati. But we found that these diverse populations could not assimilate with their culture because there wasn't a place for them to go to find out what was happening or where they could find the culturally relevant services and products that they requested. So they never kind of fit in. And so hopefully our website not only creates opportunities for residents who are here, but it also creates opportunities for visitors and um, transfers and transient populations and people who are in Cincinnati for either a short period of time or to to move their lives. And so that's what it has become. It really uh, came about because people were calling our office and asking us, For different bits of information. And we said, we need to put this out there. And instead of us using so much of our time trying to get uh, certain messages in different kinds of media, we decided to create our own and it was an attraction to others. So it has been a great business investment. And a success story of that is, what problems are you having in your company that you're fumbling to try to get people to respond or how to get that resource or how to get that message out. And if you can't figure out how to do it or you can't get other people to do it or it's taking too much time for you to get other people to do it or cost too much, then maybe you need to think about doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. And that was my motto. I said, I've spent just 10 years trying to figure this out. I'm going to do it myself and it's going to start slow and it's going to get better. But Eventually, it has gotten much better. And just yesterday, we had five thousand page views on just one story. So that you know, it has it, it tells me that there's a need. It tells me that there's um, an opportunity, and we are grateful for the experience.
0: Congratulations on taking the journey and the bold move. Yes. to create. It's not easy to see that, right? For many, yep. that here's an. It's going to take me so much work. To ever get anyone to change, I'll just create it myself.
1: I'll just right? create With a team it myself. Of
0: resources, yeah. yes,
1: and I, and I would encourage our listeners to to really again think about what problem you're you're facing at work or or in life. But I'll I'll use work. What problem are you facing? What vendor isn't supplying? What customer isn't doing? What uh, you know so computer system doesn't work, you know, and take matters into your own hands. And it might not be perfect, but at least it's going to be a start. And if you can afford the investment, keep going, Mm. keep going at it and figure out how you can have greater control over the things you need to make your customers happy. Because at the end of the day, the whole goal is to make our customers happy. Mm. And so if you, if any impediment of making your customers happy, you need to take that matter into your own hands.
0: Yeah. As you look at, Workforce pipeline in our community—big topic, big conversation—that's at the forefront of everyone's mind. Um, you know, we look at opportunities like Voice of Black Cincinnati for organizations to one become self-aware, yes, um, know about as a resource, and help them reach other great people in the market that they might not be. Do you find employers? using it as a venue to share jobs and resources and having success there? Oh,
1: well, absolutely. So we have several pages of our website. In addition to news that we have, we have a database of hundreds of scholarships for students, and that has been very helpful to individuals. We've had people call back and say, I have a full ride. I received a scholarship because I saw something on your website and I applied. So yes, so we have colleges and universities and companies and corporations who are sharing information about scholarships that we are then in turn sharing with our clientele, with our readers. We also have a community calendar. And so individuals who are interested in listing information about events that might be of interest to our audience, it's free, it's user-generated, and that has been very helpful to um, our our customers as well. Not necessarily uh, in addition to our readers, but to those organizations who are having events and activities that would cater to our audience. And then we have a jobs, Board and that jobs board has been a tremendous success. We've had uh, companies call us sometimes and say, "Could you please take us down because we can't take any more applications?"
0: That is a great. That's problem That's a great to have. problem to have,
1: <laughs> and so we really reach out. And then, as a as the media company ourselves, we do a lot of things to try to consolidate data. You know, one thing that you find is. Um, if you're looking for a job board, you know, you just have to click every company or every this and sift and sort through all these different things. What we try to do is create listings of opportunities. So we just published a newsletter of about eight different types of employment opportunities for our residents. So we said, hey, if you want to do government, all of these government agencies are helping. Hey, if you want to do a uh, trade, if you want to learn a trade, these are all of the paid apprenticeships in our region. So They will pay you to learn their skill and trade. And when you graduate, you will have a certificate that gives you transferable skills to work at other companies. Then we said hey, if corporate is your thing, here are eight companies that are hiring hundreds of people for their you know, workforce. And then, you know, we went down to say, if you're looking for new careers, if you're looking for um, uh, retirement or part-time careers, we had jobs for youth. We had jobs for felons, which is a big industry um, today, because if anyone has a record, they can't get a job. But there are hundreds of companies that are very felon friendly. And so when we categorize those things, it makes it so much easier for the readers Uh, and our viewers to see, absorb and apply. And so that's why so many of our clients, uh, our, our corporate clients who put their jobs on our board are very pleased with the success of their advertising dollars, because we go directly to their audience. And we turn that message into a way that really relates to the persons that they're trying to
0: attract. Thank you for it's. I mean, in being having been on the site and a subscriber to the newsletter, yes. there's so many opportunities to engage. Yes, and I think I'm and I'm very hopeful that people who are listening today will say, well, "I never knew that," and now I'm going to go. And hopefully, you get phone calls that say. Boy, we could really use support, and we have apprenticeship programs. We would love to engage with your audience and with the audience abroad who are following the Voice of Black Cincinnati. So thank you for doing that.
1: You know, it's so ironic. Uh, There was a trade fair. Uh, for uh, uh, a job fair for trades. And someone called and said, hey, we're just going to put our advertising in, you know, whatever happens. And so we did that and we shared it on social media. He called back and said, in two hours, you far exceeded, he said, you exceeded our expectations by five times in just two hours of the post being up. So it really does work. And if you really work with with companies um, or with media outlets that can really show you tangible results, I think you'll get really good results.
0: Um, Crystal, could you share a little bit about other internal, you know, when you think of leading well? right? Um, Again, you're a leader who brings enthusiasm. You're willing to ask the tough questions. Um, You're doing so many great things, both work-wise and community-wise in our environment here and abroad. You're working with companies around the globe. What inspires you to lead well and to do the things you do?
1: Well, you know, Today, it's really all about the worker. There were years and and generations when it was quality as job one, remember that? And then it was about the leaders and it was about all these other things, right? But today it is about the worker. Happy workers stay on the job and they do great work and they're committed beyond belief. And so my job as the CEO, I have two jobs as a CEO and everyone knows it. I need to make my employees happy Because they make my customers happy and I need to be sure payroll clears. (laughs) So, you know, those are two things. And I mean, we joke about it, but that is very serious. Those are two easy ways to say that I create a culture in which people want to work and we do some really good screening. We've really honed in on our recruiting processes and our hiring and onboarding processes to make sure that we bring people in who offer a good cultural fit as well as a good productivity or quality fit. They have to get what we're doing here. And if they they have to understand that our customers are number one. And we do whatever we can to make our customers happy. So so that's from the hiring perspective. And I really try to create a culture that makes people want to come to work and do things. And I try to be very reasonable you know, with the work-life family balance and all those other kinds of things. So that's one thing. And when I say I need to make sure payroll clears, I say I need to make sure that the company remains fiscally sound, um, that they can trust it, because I'm not just taking care of my work I'm taking care of their families and all the things by which they care. And so I need to be sure that we're safe and sound so that they feel good about coming to work every day and they don't have a burden of wondering if they're going to still be here or if the company is still going to be here. And so I I try to do my jobs well and they do their jobs well. And I think that works for us. We're still a smaller company. um, So, you know, for our listeners who have hundreds of employees, you know, maybe you have to try something a little different. But I do think that making the customer, making the employees happy and having a good fiscally sound business, no matter the size of your company, are still some very important issues.
0: Is there a a theme or an idea or a perspective that you would love for the listener today to take away from this conversation beyond all of the great things we've already discussed?
1: Uh, Well, um, I think there's a couple things. We were talking about staff. And and one of the things that I tell people, not that I'm an expert in staffing, that's probably much more of your, your area, but I tell people to hire smartly. Sometimes you wait until you need people. And then you're taking whoever comes and if it's a fit, if it's a fit, and if it's not, not, and that's not a good thing. I think you need to get ahead of the hiring game. You should always have people in the hopper or ideas in the hopper or something so that you have enough time to bring someone on board. Properly train them, and then get them ready to work with your clients. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. And and you know, everyone knows there's a labor shortage. There's definitely a labor shortage of uh, middle skilled, semi skilled workers. Mm-hmm. Kind of the two year degree. 10 month certificate kind of thing. Um, And then there's the challenge of millennials and people changing jobs more rapidly. So, so one is hire smartly and take care of them. The other thing I would really like to encourage people to do is to think about the customer. I've talked about that a lot, but, you know, many times when you become a leader, you just trust uh, your your middle management, or whomever, to implement new systems that can, what we believe, enhance the customer experience. And I've just gone through this with a couple of clients lately. They mean well, they've put in all of these systems to enhance the customer process, and it's not working well for them at all. And what the, the first thing I tell my uh, my clients, the companies with whom we work, is one, make a list of the things that you do not like when you are experiencing when you're engaging with the company so what cust- what points of customer service do you like and what you don't like if you don't like an automated attendant when you call someone then don't give your customers an automated attendant if you don't like um, long wait times then try to find a way to reduce those wait times. If you don't like confusing systems that ask you to duplicate information or submit all of these forms or do all of these different things, if you don't like that, then please don't put your customers through that. If you like the experience of call recognition where you dial and they say, hello, Ms. Kendrick, how can we help you? We have your information on file. Just tell us what you would like to do. You know, those kinds of things. Really think about that. And the other thing I tell customers, and these are my leaders who are running, running companies, secret shop your own company. There was a television show that was on where the CEO would go into the different places um, and and work with the employees, and the employees didn't know. I can't remember the name of it. Was it Undercover Boss? Undercover boss. Undercover Boss, Be an undercover boss, if you will, of your own company. When you need something at your company, you tend to go to the person who's in charge, and they're elated to assist you. And you do not go through the processes that your customers experience. Well, I want you to try it, or you can call us and we'll help you try it, but... But, um, you know, experience that for yourself. And when you go through that process, if you discover there are challenges for you, by all means, fix those problems because they're also challenges for your customer. Mm-hmm. And also don't uh, be so insulated in your thought. Sometimes you need people who are not familiar with your vocabulary and technology and ways and processes to test your system as well because just because it makes sense to you and your internal team based on your systems, it may not make sense to your clients. Mm-hmm. So please don't forget that. Don't forget the user testing, don't forget the service that we're providing to our customers and don't automate yourself away from your clients.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. As I I mentioned to you when we were prepping for this, that we had a distinct opportunity to sit in a board meeting and have a board voting on which um, organization, various, very Um, well-thought-of national organizations that they were going to use to select to know their customer more effectively and the audience more effectively. And all three of those very large institutions were all utilizing the voice of your customer, your firm, to help them understand the data and do all of the internal research. Um, And I thought... Wow, she has not only built and took the leap to to start a company, but that's success, right? And to have all three of these nationally recognized organizations, which means you're a nationally recognized organization um, who has the expertise to lead well. And, some, and this was a lot of research. This is a lot of those tough conversations that, to be frank, no one's ever asked the audience that they're going to be asking this data. And, uh, and your organization was serving all three of them as a part of their vendor selection oh. process and support. So, and congratulations for being in that space. And thank you for the work that that is leading into for education in our community.
1: Well, thank you. Um, and, you know, one thing I'd like people to get out of that is we have made it a strategic priority to be the subcontractor of choice. And that's not an easy decision for many businesses, many, especially many small businesses. They want to be the prime. They want to be in charge. And sometimes they struggle with some of the things that are slightly outside of their sweet spot. We've decided to stay in our sweet spot and be comfortable where we are, growing incrementally. As I mentioned, we, we've brought the website on, et cetera, but. We have worked really hard to become the subcontractor of choice, and we are now bringing credibility to prime contractors because people know our work. And that has been a very profitable model for us because we spend more of our time doing billable hours and work than we do preparing proposals and meeting with large clients. And not to say that we don't do those things, but we have a a bucket now of rock solid at work because we have made it a strategic priority to be a subcontractor. Sometimes number two is a better quality of life than number one. And I hope someone on the call will hear that and realize that as well. That being number two doesn't mean your company isn't big enough or strong enough or that you can't handle certain things. It means you're using your time wisely. You're staying in your sweet spot. You're creating brand recognition for what you do and what you do extremely well. And you increase your profits a bit as well.
0: That is the essence of redefining and reframing success and leadership. Right. And what you just shared. So thank you so much for sharing that with our audience. Thank you for sharing it with me. And it's been a pleasure to serve on panels with you, to work with you with joint customers that we've supported, to call you a friend and to help elevate the work that you do. Um, And thank you for all that you do. And thank you for redefining success in leadership.
1: Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. Um, If anyone wants to reach me or contact us, uh, you can feel free to call 513-281-3228. Again, that telephone number is 513-281-3228. You can look us up, the voice of your customer in Cincinnati or the voice of Black Cincinnati or just ask anybody in Cincinnati if they know the voice and you'll find us and we'd love to help them too.
0: Thank you so much, Crystal, for being here. Our pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Sound Press, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Sippel Jr. We are recorded in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We're supported by our listeners from all around the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is part of the Talent Magnet Institute and Centennial. You can reach me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Mike Sippel Jr. Find us in your favorite podcast app, or you can visit us online at talentmagnetinstitutepodcast.com to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a colleague.